Last week we talked about looking at the Bible not as 66 books that are separate from each other, but looking at the Bible as one singular story, as a progression of story that takes place. We saw that God intervened time after time to protect and to guide and to show his love for his people, that when they turned from him, he was there. I hope we were able to see that even in the Old Testament, that God was a loving and merciful God. When sin entered the world and man became separated from God, God sent Abraham to start new. He sent him from the place that he was and he sent him out and he said, go. When the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, God sent Moses to lead them into the promised land. When the Israelites forgot about God and, and they forgot about what he had done for them, he had given them this promised land, he had given them this place that he said would be fruitful and it would be theirs that no one would come against them, but they forgot what God had said, and they turned from God. And when they found themselves being oppressed by the other rulers and armies in the land, they cried out to God, and God answered their prayers. God sent them judges to free them from the oppression and to turn them back to God. When the Israelites continued to turn from God, he sent prophets to show them the errors of their ways and to teach them about who he truly was. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live among us, to die for our sins. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples that before you leave Jerusalem, you will receive the Holy Spirit, that I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. Are we noticing a pattern that's taking place here? There's a word that just keeps happening to pop up every time God has to do something for us. He sends someone. You see, the nature of God, one of the things that he would be characterized by is that he is a sending God. It's not all about God standing up and saying, this is what you're going to do, and it's done. But he sends people into the world to speak for him as he sent Abraham and the prophets and the judges. We talked about the Missio Dei, the, the mission of God. And we actually see the mission of God running throughout the scriptures. That God had a plan, that he has a purpose. There's a mission, there's something that's driving God and his desire. And it's this unity to be one with his creation. In many circles, the Missio Dei has been weakened because there's this mindset that because this is God's mission, 
the church doesn't have to do anything. That his people can sit back and it's his mission. Why should we have to do anything? And so church has slowly become this thing we do on Sundays. Because it's, it's God who does the work. Why, why do we have to go? But you see, all human mission as seen as participation in and the extension of a divine sending. There's a key thing here, and it's called participation. God calls us to be participants in this mission. To be the people who take the gospel to the world. John 20, 21 Jesus tells his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you out. God has sent me on a mission. I'm part of that mission. And now I'm sending you to participate in this mission. I'm sending you out. In Luke 24, 45 through 49, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them about receiving the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 48, You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. It's important to note that he says, Even though you're going to be my witnesses, I'm not sending you out unprepared. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is going to be living inside of you. That when you struggle to find the words to say, I will speak through you. But you have to be willing to be my witnesses. And as Kathy read for us in Acts 1.8, it says, but when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This isn't a radically new thought that Jesus just happens to throw out there and say that, okay, you're my disciples. This is what you're supposed to do. In Isaiah 43, 10 through 12, Isaiah writes, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, referring to Jesus, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not the foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. The disciples know that the true identity of Jesus, they now realize what his identity is as he appears to them after he's risen from the dead. And he tells them that you are going to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? 
A witness testifies to what is true. A witness testifies to what has taken place. But you see, there's also another part of being a witness. You have to have firsthand knowledge. If in the court system today, if you don't have a firsthand knowledge, if it wasn't said directly to you, it's called hearsay. You just heard it, and now you're saying it. But you don't know for a fact. But you see, each one of us, if we are truly a follower of Christ, we are witnesses. Because we are a personal testimony to what Jesus Christ came to do in this world. Each one of us are witnesses to what Christ has done in each one of us. And Jesus is almost saying that just like in a court of law today, that it's against the law to not tell the truth when you know that it's the truth. But as Christ's witnesses, many times we keep it to ourselves. It's almost like this little secret that we have that we don't want anyone to know about. Or we're embarrassed that they might think that we're different or weird. We are. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest about it. We do some pretty weird things. But you know what? <laughs> so do they. The church's mission flows out of the identity of God. The church's mission flows out of who God is. In Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah, about Jesus, and he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's too small of a thing. It's just this Old Testament thing. It would be too small a thing to send my son into the world simply to redeem Israel. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That you and I have the chance to be redeemed by Jesus' death on the cross to the Gentiles and to the Jews. But when we read this in Acts 13, 47, Paul does something that it's really easy for us to miss if we're not paying attention and looking for it. Paul says in Acts 13, 47, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul took the singular you that Isaiah used in referring to Jesus. And Paul takes the plural, us, and says that you, the church, the body of Christ are to be the light to the Gentiles. 
the mission of the church flows out of God's mission. It's ultimately God's mission that controls who we are and what we do. One of the things that it's critical that I believe for the church to do in today's society is to look at what we're doing as the church. If we're doing things that don't line up with the mission of God, why are we doing it? Is it so that we feel comfortable and happy and and feel like the church is doing something to, to help us? Or are we realizing that our mission, our purpose, is to do what God has declared? The mission, from the point of view of our human endeavor and the humanness, everything flows out of being a committed participant as God's people for the redemption of the world. The mission is God's. You can call him crazy if you want, but he chooses to involve you and I in that mission. So at the end of last week, I asked the question, what about the gap? What about after Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, And what about until God returns, until Christ returns again, as we read about in Revelation? What's in the middle? What takes place in that time? You see, God sent us. God sends you and I. God sends you and I to be the light of the world. Some of you may question how I, why I lead the way I do, the the things, the choices that make, or the things that I choose to talk about on Sunday mornings. Before I got into seminary, I knew I wanted to go into ministry. I hadn't studied like I have after my years of seminary. And I spent about a year writing a mission statement for me. What I felt like God was calling me to do in ministry. And this is what came out of that year of searching. I felt like God was saying that my mission was to reach out to the local community and beyond with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. A given, right? Reach out to the community. You're not just about the people in the church, but what about the people outside in the community? And to challenge believers to live passionate lives fully devoted to coming to church. No. Fully devoted to being participants in the mission of God. And then later, when I was in seminary, We had to read this book called The Mission of God. And after I'm reading this book, I'm like, man, I was a genius and I could have written this book and made some good money. But 
I had no clue what God was really speaking into my life in those times. Because you see, I think we're called to something so much deeper than simply coming to church, going to a Bible study, singing in the choir, playing an instrument. But he, re- he calls us to be participants, to be actively engaged in his mission. So what is the purpose of those who call themselves followers of Christ? What is the purpose of what we do? Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He goes on to tell the disciples that when you have something so priceless as light, when you stand in the midst of darkness, why would you hide it? He says, why would you cover it and shield it? He says, no, that you're to go out and you're to put it on the highest place so that all can see it. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. It's important to note who gets glorified here. God gets the credit. It's not about us being participants in God's mission so that we can get brownie points. But it's so that God can get credit. It's so that his kingdom can grow. So that people will come to know the truth. Isaiah 49.6, we just read a minute ago where Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. And he says that you are to be the light to the Gentiles. Jesus himself turns around and literally says to his followers that you are that same light. Just as God had sent me, Jesus, into the world to be the light to the world, I am sending you to be the light in the darkness. To find the darkest places and take me with you. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to speak through us. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, this is one of my favorite scriptures of Paul. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. 
To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I put my side, I put myself aside. I put my uncomfortableness aside when it comes to talking to someone who's totally different than me and makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I stand there in faith to be the light of the world. I put aside my preferences at times. I don't sacrifice my morals or my ethics. I don't sin in order to bring someone to know Christ. But I surrender myself for the cause of God and no one else. A large percentage of people will die without sharing their faith to one person. I know what you're thinking. I, I don't know how to lead someone to Christ. I, I don't know how to make a disciple. I don't know how to disciple someone. You know, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. How in the world am I supposed to do that? So like most pastors, we get all these books and tell us discipleship. This is how you do it. And this is the best way to do it. And yeah, they did really good at selling their book. But so did the other person who has a totally different philosophy. So how do we make disciples? Well, here's a tip. I love what Richard Stern says. He's the CEO of World Vision. He said, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. I've told you before that I shake in my shoes to think what I would have done to this church if I would have been here when I wanted to be here as a pastor. Instead of the seven years that I went through the equipping phase that God took me through. He prepared me for the day that I came here. But I knew I was called. But was I willing to go through the process of being equipped? There were times where I said, no, I wasn't. Jennifer can attest to this. I was done. I was impatient. I was tired of waiting. But I'm glad I did. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then 13 through 12, 13, 11 through 13, sorry. 
Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to step on some toes. Paul lays out how the ministry of the church is to take place. You see, today's world tells us that, okay, pastor, you've gone to school. You've learned how to disciple people. You make the disciples. You learned how to play in the programs and run the VBS, and you've learned how to do all of these things, so you go and do it. God has sent you. You go do it. But Paul is telling us that God has appointed apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do what? To equip. To equip the followers of Christ to be able to go out. To be able to realize what we're called to do. Is my job to sit and do nothing? No, I'm not saying that. Not trying to get off easy. But my job is to equip you to do the work of the church. And I'll be honest with you, it's been a process of learning how to do it. How do I take so many different people? and equip you guys to be the church. Especially when so many of you have grown up in a church where it was the pastor who did everything. It was the pastor who did the door-to-door evangelism. It was the pastor who drove the bus, who went and picked up all the kids that came on Sunday morning. It was the pastor who went and did all the visitation for the shut-ins and the sick. It was the pastor who went out and prayed for people in the community. It was the pastor who served on all the committees and boards and things in the community. It was the pastor, it was the pastor, it was the pastor. And you know what? The pastors are to blame. Because the pastors taught you that your job was to come on Sunday morning and come to church. Because that is what made the pastor happy. 
when you came and our attendance records are good and we can turn that into the district office and say, hey, we did good this year. We brought in more money. We got people in the door. And we get our pat on the back. That's what we taught you. But we were wrong. Our job is to equip. So when we have classes that we offer, when we have Sunday school classes or small groups or uh, missional communities that we're talking about now, or if we have a, a retreat that we're doing next weekend, those are things to equip you so that you can be the light of the world But never sell yourself short because you need to remember that God sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit so that he could speak through us. It's never just you standing there sharing your faith on your own. It's never just you filling the plate for the person it served. It's never just you holding the door open for someone going into the grocery store. But it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you, being the light of the world. And you see, in order for Jesus to be able to be the light of the world, We have to be willing to fill the gap. We have to be willing to stand up and say, God, I know your mission. I know that you have sent me into the world. You don't send me empty-handed. You send the Holy Spirit with me, that you're speaking through me and in me. And I go in faith. I serve in faith. Jennifer and I watched um, Simon and Jude, uh, Kelly Perry's two little boys yesterday. This is the second time we've watched them. Kelly had an interview, and she planned to go home and, and clean her house. She came back to have dinner with us last night, and she said that she sat down in her recliner, and it was over. <laughs> her cleaning had come to an end before it started and she said she just slept Jennifer and I are like good you, you didn't hurt our feelings but a simple thing is watching two little kids so that their mom could catch up on her sleep or clean her house or go to an interview a simple thing believe it or not is being the church is serving God, is serving each other, being a light to the world. Think about it. God chose us, messed up, ordinary people, 
in order to be the light of the world so that others could come to know him. And he sends us to messed up, ordinary people to live life with them. You know, the thing is, we really don't have to do anything differently. If we just live as Christ has called us to live. Serve when we get the chance. Love the people who aren't loved. He sends us. He sends each one of us to be participants. And for this activity, there is no retirement. I'm sorry. You do not get to draw benefits. There's no retirement. The benefit is eternity. Yes, that's your only benefit. No salary. Our job is never done. But you will never be more blessed than when you go. Because he's called us to go.